0: potters house this message this morning is for all you little lumps of clay out there those of you who are on the potter's wheel maybe feeling like your life is spinning out of control or maybe you have been molded and shaped by the master and and now you're sitting on a shelf desiring to be used by him maybe right now you are going through the most fiery trial of your lives or maybe Maybe you're that little lump of clay that's still down in the pit. Maybe you're all squished up in the corner trying to avoid the touch of the master potter. Well, God knows the plans that he has for each one of you from the foundation of the world to make you into that beautiful and useful vessel of honor. But you see, all this doesn't happen overnight, does it? No. It's a process that we all need to go through. And that process is this journey called life. So, won't you join me on my potter's wheel? And as Oswald Chambers said in his book, My Utmost for His Highest, let God put you on his wheel and worry you as he likes. And as sure as God is God and you are you, you will turn out exactly in accordance with his vision. Don't lose heart in the process. If you've ever had the vision of God, You might try as you like to be satisfied on a lower level, but God will never let you. The master was searching for a vessel to use. Before him were many. Which one would he choose? Take me, cried the gold one, shiny and bright. I'm of great value, and I do things just right. My beauty and luster outshine the rest, and for someone like you, master, gold would be best. The master passed on with no word at all and came to a silver urn, grand and tall. I'll serve you, dear master. I'll pour out your wine. I'll be on your table whenever you dine. My lines are so graceful, my carving so true, and silver will always compliment you. Unheeding, the master passed on to the brass, wide-mouthed and shallow, polished like glass. Hear, hear, cried the vessel. I know I will do. "'Place me on your table for all men to view.' "'Look at me,' cried the goblet, "'of crystals so clear. "'My transparency shows my content. "'So dear. "'Though fragile am I, "'I will serve you with pride, "'and I'm sure I'll be happy in your house to abide.' "'Then the master came next to a vessel of wood. "'Polished and carved, it solidly stood.' You may use me, master, the wooden bowl said, uh, but I'd rather you use me for fruit and not bread. Then the master looked down and saw a vessel of clay. Empty and broken, it helplessly lay. No hope had the vessel that the master might choose to cleanse, to make whole, to fill, and to use. Now this is the vessel I was hoping to find. I'll mend it and use it and make it all mine. You see, I need not the vessel of pride in itself, nor one that is narrow to sit on a shelf, nor one that is big-mouthed and shallow and loud, nor the one that displays its content so proud, nor the one who thinks he can do things just right. But this plain, earthly vessel filled with power and might So gently he lifted the vessel of clay. He mended it, cleansed it, and filled it that day. He spoke to it kindly. There's work you must do. Just pour out to others what I've poured into you. Now, have you ever noticed how sometimes the Lord has to put us in some pretty unusual places or difficult circumstances to hear from him? Well, today, we're going to visit a place that's probably pretty unusual for most of you. We're going to go down to the potter's house and hear what the Lord would have to say to us. Now, the Lord told Jeremiah, Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house and saw him working at the wheel. But the pot that he was shaping was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. And then the word of the Lord came to me. Can I not do with you as this potter does, declares the Lord? Like clay in the hands of the potter, so are you in my hands, O house of Israel. Now you see, when Jeremiah first went down to that potter's house, the very first thing that he saw was the master potter. He was an artisan, a man who was skilled, who had a design in his mind for that lump of clay that he was working. Now, the master potter is, of course, a picture of God. Then the next thing that Jeremiah saw was the lump of clay. Worthless, really. The most common of all substances earth the clay is you and me earthy we are but dust or as jill briscoe refers to us as little dust people but we're dust that's been dignified by deity it says in the psalms as a father has compassion on his children so the lord has compassion on those who fear him for he knows how we are formed and he remembers that we are dust Now, I remember a quote once from J. Vernon McGee. He said that he went down to a potter's house once and was watching the potter working at the wheel and sharing scripture at the same time, and he said it was absolutely fascinating. He said, really, there was only one problem with it. He said it was so fascinating to watch that he didn't remember one word that the potter said. So every once in a while this morning, I'm just going to be quiet for a few minutes and let you watch. Now, back in the days of the Old Testament, the potter would go down to a pit to get his clay. He would climb down into this deep, dark, smelly, slimy, stinking pit just to choose a lump of clay that he wanted to work with. Now, God chose to compare us to clay because of its marvelous resilience. You see, he didn't compare us to to iron that, that can't bend or oil that slips and slides, or, or a rock that can't be moved. No, he wanted clay because it could be molded and conformed into his image. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So you see, the potter would climb down into that pit, and he would look around for just the perfect lump of clay for the vessel that he wanted to make. You see this lump of clay? It's special. It's hand-picked, and it's chosen. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you might show forth the praises of him who called you out of the darkness, the darkness of that pit, and into his marvelous light. Now, after the potter would choose that lump of clay, he would need to prepare it for the wheel. A lot of times when the clay was down in the pit, it would get grit in it, it would get straw, little pieces of rock in it. Uh, Sometimes it would get dumps in it. Now, dumps are broken pieces from other vessels that have gotten stuck on it. Have you ever been dumped on? (laughs) Do you have any broken pieces from other vessels that have gotten stuck on you? You see, the potter needs to clean that out before he can put the clay on the wheel. Otherwise, it will mar the pot. So once the potter cleans the clay, he needs to wedge the clay or knead it to make it soft and pliable, kind of like breaking up the fallow ground of our heart, so to speak. And sometimes this hurts a little. Sometimes this hurts a lot. This kind of reminds me of my daughter, uh, Jenny, when she was little. Um, When Jenny was five, she wanted to get her ears pierced. And she begged us and she pleaded with us and she badgered us. And finally we gave in and said, okay. So we took her down to the place. And you know how they say leave in the studs for six weeks, and at the end of six weeks, you can put in earrings. So at exactly six weeks to the moment, she ran and got her Beauty and the Beast earrings and put them in. She was five. Well, at exactly six and a half weeks, they were infected already. I said, oh, Jenny, those earrings have to come out. Oh, you're hurting me. You're hu-. I wasn't even touching her yet. So then I go to get the earring. Oh, you're hurting me. You're hurting me. It took me an hour and a half just to get one earring out of that girl's ear. Now, you know, we kind of laugh about that, but how often do we do that? How often does the Lord want to do just a little bit of work in our lives? And we go, oh, Lord, you're hurting me. You're hurting me. See, something that might have only taken the Lord a moment to do in our lives. But because of our kicking and screaming, well, maybe it takes him an hour or a day or a year or 10 years. Or maybe, maybe it's that thing that's infected in your life today that he's been trying to remove. You know, sometimes we say, oh, Lord, you're digging a little deep there, and and what does he say to us? He says, oh, little lump of clay, just trust me. I know what I'm doing. A.W. Tozer once said, God can't use someone greatly until he's hurt him deeply. Now, our God would never allow us to be hurt Without a purpose. But in that hurting, he is molding us and shaping us into a vessel of honor that he can use for his honor and glory. In Job it says, For he wounds, but he also binds up. He injures, but his hand also heals. May the God of peace equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in you what is pleasing to him. You see, it's for his pleasure that he does it. He says, you know what? He says, I love you so much that I'm willing to work overtime on you. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for us to do. All we need to do is to yield ourselves to him and allow him to do that good work first in us, and then he can do that good work through us. Okay, well, now the clay has been cleaned. It's been wedged and prepared. Now it's ready for the wheel. But back in the days of the Old Testament, they didn't have nice electric wheels like this. So back in the days of the Old Testament, the potter would squat at a huge, round, flat rock. And that rock would be perched on top of a cone-shaped rock. And there would be a hole chiseled out on the flat rock. So the potter would take a large stick and he would put it in that hole would turn it and turn it and turn it until it was spinning very fast. Then he would take that lump of clay and throw it onto the rock, hence the term throwing, and he would begin to center the clay with his hands. Now in Psalm 40 it says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay And he set my foot upon the rock, and he established my goings. Now, you see, that clay had to wait patiently down in the pit. Couldn't climb up out of the pit by itself. Had to wait for the potter to go down into that pit and choose it and pull it up and set it on the rock. And who's the rock? Jesus. That's right. Now, something kind of interesting about pottery is that different parts of a vessel have different names, And the bottom of a vessel is called the foot of the vessel. So he set my foot upon the rock, and he established my goings. He gets me going in the right direction, doesn't he? Now you can see as I'm working with this clay that nothing can touch this clay unless it first goes through my hands. Well, nothing can touch you unless it first goes through God's hands. Now, the first thing that I need to do in order to shape this pot is to center the clay on the wheel. And the first part of that centering process is to bring the clay up into a cone shape. And I kind of found it's like our walk with the Lord. Did you find when you first came to the Lord, you just felt high and lifted up, like like you're walking in the clouds? It's, It's like that honeymoon experience, we all know that that honeymoon experience doesn't last forever. And just like that doesn't last forever, the potter can't do the actual shaping of the pot while it's up in this position. Something else about when the clay is up in this position, look how easily it's knocked off balance. So the next step is to bring it down low. And it says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and in due time, he will lift you up. Now, the potter can tell when the clay is centered, because he can put his hand on top of the clay, and his hand doesn't move. So, can God put his hand on you and not be moved? Or is he constantly saying to you, would you get back here? Would you stay in the center? You see, we need to yield to his touch. And unfortunately, yielding is a continual process. We can't just say, well, Lord, you know I did yield to you yesterday. Do I really have to do it again today? No, it's a moment-by-moment process. So the next thing that the potter does is to open up the clay, pressing deep down in the center, almost to the bottom of the pot. Now, yielding means being open to what God has for you realizing that he knows what's best. Yielding means being willing to receive a yes or a no or a wait answer to prayer. Yielding means waiting, perhaps for a long time, with anticipation and expectation for God to act, expecting that God is going to do a good work in your life. Yielding means allowing God to make you into that vessel that He wants you to be. So, is He making you into maybe a platter that's used for serving? Or maybe you're a pitcher that needs to be filled with living water and then poured out to fill up other vessels? Or maybe you're a clay jar that holds a special treasure. Or maybe you're desiring to be that Ming vase that's up on a place of honor and display. Or maybe today you feel like a paper plate used and discarded. Maybe today you feel like a cup of trembling. Maybe a cup of suffering. Or maybe, maybe you just feel like an ordinary everyday coffee mug. Maybe it was a gift from your child from ceramics glass. Very ordinary, maybe a little lopsided. But very important, because it's used every day. Now you see, this clay, it has no ability or power within itself to become a pot. If I stop right here, that's as far as this clay can go. You see, without me, it can't do anything. And what does God say? He says, without me, you can do nothing. God the potter is sovereign, and he will prevail. He will make you into what he wants you to be. But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me this way? Let's face it, how often do we say that? Does not the potter have power over the clay to make from one lump a vessel of honor and, and from another lump a vessel of dishonor? That's a real humbling thought, isn't it? You mean, I could be going through all this, this molding and, and shaping just so that God could be making me into a, a spittoon? But you see, humility is that willingness to endure the shaping by the master potter. Even when you think your abilities call for better opportunities, he knows what you need. He knows when to add water. He knows when to stretch you up. He knows when he can stretch you a little higher still. He knows when to dry you out. He knows when to squeeze you in. And you know what? He even knows when he's finished with you. This kind of reminded me of a story about a little boy who was out in the backyard one day and who was playing in the mud. And he was making this little mud man. So he made the little mud head and the little mud body and one little leg and the other little leg and one little mud arm. And just then his mom comes out and says, Johnny, you need to get cleaned up. We have to go into town now. He says, oh, mom, can't I finish my mud man first? And she said, no, we have to go into town now. So he goes into town with his parents and they're walking up the street and Johnny looks up and to and his surprise he sees a one-armed man walking down the street towards him. So he's looking at this man, and and he's looking at him, and, and finally he can't stand it any longer. He goes running up to the man, and he says, Why did you leave? I wasn't finished with you yet. But how often do we do that? How often do we get tired of going around in circles? Day after day after day, we go, I'm tired of this. I'm getting off of this wheel. And we jump there we are. And a splat on the floor. And the potter looks down and says, well, now what are you going to do? And we look up and go, I don't know. Can you help me up? So what does the potter do? Does he take that lump of clay and throw it in the trash? No, never. He very gently bends down and he scoops it up and then he crushes it and he wedges it. and He puts it back into a lump and he takes that lump of clay and puts it back onto the wheel That wheel of circumstance. And he starts the whole process all over again. You see, that lump of clay might have been close to being finished, but because it jumped off the wheel, it had to start again from the beginning. The potter says, you know, it might look like I'm finished, but maybe I want to stretch you up a little bit higher. Maybe I want to smooth out your rough edges, or put in a little more detail. You see, what you have in mind... Isn't always what I have in mind. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Yield to Him, rest in Him, and He will accomplish His work in you. Trust Him. Now, trust is easy to do when everything's going your way, right? But it's a whole nother story when you just can't see how things have possibly, can possibly work out. Trust is developed by demonstrated skill. Hasn't our Master Potter demonstrated his skill to us? If you're doubting that skill today, I'd like you to take another look at our Master Potter little more closely this time and you'll see something intriguing. In those hands that put on those pressure points, those sudden, unexpected, brutal interruptions that come our way on that unexpected day, that poke me and pinch me and pressure me. And in those hands I see Holes. And then I realize that the Master Potter is none other than the Wonderful Counselor, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, my Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, if he died for me, if he was nailed to that rough wooden cross because he loved me that much and he wanted me that badly even before I loved him, then I know I can trust him that he is making me into something wonderful. And remember, he who began a good work in each one of you will be faithful to complete it. Now, you've probably noticed that as I've been working with the clay, I'm continually adding water to the clay. And water is, it, is the medium that the potter uses to touch the clay. Just like, um, or the word is the medium that the potter uses to touch the clay. Just like, I've got this mixed up. The Word is the medium that God uses to touch us, just like water is the medium that the potter uses to touch the clay. It says, He saved us, not because of any righteous thing we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. You see, we are being conformed and transformed into his image it says husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word so the process goes on and the clay continues to go around and around and around and the clay looks up and says you know Potter this is getting pretty boring going around in circles every day when are you going to do something with me So the potter looks down and says, Well, are you ready to yield to me yet? Oh, there's that word again. Well, listen, if I yield to you, does that mean I have to do everything you say? Yes. Oh. Well, listen, if I yield to you, does that mean I have to become what you want me to be? Yes. Oh. Well, what was it again you wanted to make me? Well. I had in mind to make you into a bowl, (sighs) a bowl, but they're so short and and wide. Really, Potter, I never wanted to be a bowl. Oh, you know what I always wanted to be? I always wanted to be a vase. Wait, no, 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 not a vase, not a vase. A vase, a centerpiece on a table filled with flowers. Everyone would walk into the room and notice me. Really, Potter, I, I never wanted to be a bowl, Well, you'll make a wonderful bowl. Yeah, but nobody in my family's ever been a serving piece before. I know. But I'm calling you out for a very special purpose. Well, can you at least tell me what the purpose is? No. Sometimes I can't reveal that until the very moment you're being used. Well, okay, go ahead. Make me into a bowl. Okay, I was waiting for you to say that. But I want you to know I am not happy about this. I know. Now, before I open up this lump of clay, can anyone tell me what this lump of clay is full of? Anybody? Those ladies that were at the retreat know I'm an interactive speaker. Anybody know what this clay is full of? No? Anybody else? Itself! It's full of itself. <laughs> but you'll notice that the more open that the clay becomes, the more of the potter can fit inside of the pot. Hey, hey, hey Potter, I- I- I'm feeling something kind of strange happening here. I-, I-, I feel like I'm being stretched. You know, Potter, I heard about this stretching thing, and I don't think I'm ready for this yet, Potter. I, I really don't think I can do this. I- 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 oh, <sighs> we're at the top already. <laughs> well, That wasn't so bad. Gosh, I heard a lot of bad things about that stretching. That wasn't so bad at all. You're, you're going to what? you're going to stretch me up again? Well, listen, Potter, you know I went up the last time, but really, I don't think I can go any higher than this. Oh, I'm feeling a little thin there, Potter. Oh, really, Potter, trust me. I just, I know I'm not going to be able to go any higher than this. I'm just, I'm not going to be able to do it. I, I... Oh, where's the top again? I must be pretty good at that stretching thing. Hey, hey, Potter. Potter, you're, you're drawing me out. Didn't you just get done saying you're always adding water? Potter... I'm feeling so dry. Potter, where are you? Oh, 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 oh. there's that water running down my sides. Ah, feels so good. Uh, Potter, Potter, I'm feeling a little bent out of shape here. Uh, Potter, do you really have to make me so wide? Oh, little lump of clay, just trust me. I know what I'm doing. Hey, I kind of like what I'm becoming. Huh. This being a bull might not be so bad after all. Now, remember earlier I mentioned to you that different parts of a vessel have different names, that the bottom of the vessel is called the foot. Very good, you're all listening. Well, the inside of a vessel also has a name. The inside of the vessel is called the heart of the vessel. Now, as this little bowl goes around and around, you all can see it from every different side, right? But only I can see its heart. And it says in Samuel that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And the top of the vessel is called the mouth or the lip of the vessel. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Uh, Potter, that stick looks awful sharp. You're not really going to touch me with that thing, are you, Potter? Oh, little lump of clay, don't despise the very tools that I'm using to shape you. Well, if you're going to take away that thickness down at the bottom, I guess it's not so bad. Whoa, that one looks sharper than the last one. Easy there, Potter, easy, easy. Oh, hey, that did not hurt a bit. I guess this Potter must know what he's doing after all. Now, what are you going to do with that thing? I've never seen one of those before. Oh, that kind of (laughs) tickles. Never had my rough edges smoothed out. You know, this being a bull could be okay. I mean, I could still be a centerpiece on a table. I I have seen bulls as centerpieces on tables before. In fact, you know, I turned out so beautifully, I must have been destined for greatness. You know, the potter probably has some some great and noble purpose for me. Maybe the king's palace. This is so exciting. I can't wait to see where the potter is going to take me. So the potter takes the cutting wire and very carefully cuts underneath me. Well, this is it. I'm going to that home of greatness, that home of visibility where everyone will see me and notice me. Ah, uh, Potter, uh, don't you think this shelf is a little bit low? Don't you think more people would see me if I was up a little bit higher? Uh, Potter, this is the drying shelf, the place where the pot sits and dries out. and Sometimes it has to sit for a long, long time. Uh, This is an example of a pot that didn't sit quite long enough. You'll see the bottom of it blew out. And this is an example of what happens when we're filled with a little too much hot air. You see, the Lord has his ways of bursting our bubbles, doesn't he? But the potter knows when the pot is ready to go into the fire because he'll put it up to his face. And if all the coolness has gone out of the pot, then he knows it's ready for the fire. Now, this is a time in which the potter allows the clay to reach a stage called leather hard. And at leather hard, the potter can pick up and touch and handle the clay without leaving his fingerprints on it. Uh, This is a time when I do the carving on my pieces. If you saw the pieces uh, out on the display table, this is the time in which I do that. This is also a time in which the potter can take the pot and put it back onto the wheel and trim it down and redefine the shape of the pot So if you'll imagine with me that the piece has been trimmed, it's been carved, it's been dried, and now the potter goes over and is looking for a particular piece. He's looking at me. I knew it. I knew I would just have to sit here and dry out a little bit, and then I would go to that home of greatness. Oh, see, he's choosing me. I can't wait to see where he's going to take me next. So the potter walks a few steps, and I hear the sound of a door opening. Well, this is a strange little room. It's It's not exactly what I had in mind. It's kind of stuffy in here, actually. Gosh, there's not even any windows. Well, there's a little peephole there, but you're really boy, is it hot in here. I'm starting to sweat. Now what? It's the kiln, the oven, and the temperature rises, and it gets hotter and hotter. And it says, though for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials, these have come so that your faith which is of greater worth than gold that perishes, even though refined by the fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. It says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned The flames will not set you ablaze. Now, as I thought about the fire, of course I thought about the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm sure you all know that story. Everybody in Babylon was ordered to worship this statue. And these boys said, no, we will only worship the true and the living God. Well, Nebuchadnezzar was furious when he heard this, but he liked these boys and he wanted to give them another chance. So he says, worship this statue. They said, no. Even if we perish, we will only worship the true and the living God. Well, now Nebuchadnezzar was beside himself with anger, and he ordered that they be thrown into the fire, but not just any old fire. He ordered that the fire be heated up seven times hotter than normal. Can you imagine that? It was so hot that as the boys were bound and taken down to the fire, it was so hot that as the guards threw them into the fire, the guards were incinerated. So Nebuchadnezzar's looking down in the fire, and he notices something kind of strange happening. He says, uh, didn't we throw three Hebrew boys into the fire? But look, there's four of them, and they're walking around in the fire. Picture that, walking around in the fire. And one of them has the appearance of the Son of God. So he says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out of there. Well, they came walking out of the fire, and their clothes weren't burned and they didn't even smell like smoke. Now, I know that part probably means nothing to most of you, but being a potter, I do a type of firing called raku. And in a raku firing, I will put the glazed pieces of pottery into the kiln, and I'll bring it up to about 1,850 degrees. It's absolutely white hot. Then I take them out of the kiln while they're hot, and I blow on them. The cool air hits it, crackles the glaze. Then I'll put it in a can full of newspaper. It catches on fire. I cover it up. That puts out the fire. And the smoke gets into wherever the glaze cracked or wherever there was no glaze. That's how I get that black and white effect. But the smoke also gets into my hair and my clothes and my house, and everything around me smells like smoke. And I'll walk into the house, and the kids go, Oh, Mom's been firing again. It's a very pungent smell. These boys didn't even smell like smoke nebuchadnezzar said your god did this for you you serve an awesome god you see they didn't pray to be delivered from the fire but they went through the fire and god was in the midst of the fire with them oh you know what i'm sorry i forgot there was one thing that was burned on the boys you know what it was it was the ties that bound them they were gone when they came out of the fire. You see, all of these fiery trials cause us to depend upon our master potter. If a pot hasn't been fired, it won't hold water. If I poured water into this pot right here, you know what would happen? It would melt. It would turn into a pile of mush. But when you have been through the fire, your testimony will hold water. People will see the power of God working in your lives, and then they can believe it. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith works patience, and that patience must finish its work so that you can be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now, I've always loved that scripture, but you know how sometimes the Lord wants to take a scripture and and work it and wedge it into your life so you will never look at it in the same way ever again? Well, a few years back, that's what the Lord wanted to do in my life with that particular scripture. Um, We had been living in a very small house in Northridge, California, during the big Northridge earthquake. It was a little tiny two-bedroom house, and there were six of us there, and needless to say, it was pretty tight, and we had been praying for a house with more room in it. So one day, a friend of mine who's a real estate agent came to the door, and she said, Carol, I found a great house for you. It's right around the corner from here. It's five bedrooms. It's in your price range. We went over. We liked the house. They accepted our offer. We were able to rent our house out for the amount of money that we needed. Everything fell into place perfectly. In fact, I was so excited that as we're signing the escrow papers, I was telling the escrow agent, God did this for us, and God did this, and God did this, and she says, you know, we've really never had anyone share that with us before signing escrow papers but i didn't care because i knew that god had prepared this house for us now this was a 30 day escrow and you know all know what it takes to pack up your whole house in 30 days and also, during this time, I was scheduled to speak at Calvary Chapel of Downey at their ladies' night out. and They were expecting about 500 ladies that night, and it takes a lot for me to get prepared, especially for a group that large. So we were scheduled to move on Saturday, and I was speaking Monday night. So for 30 days, I'm throwing, I'm firing, I'm packing, I'm praying, oh, Lord, just let me get through Monday. Be careful how you pray. Saturday, the move went great. Monday night, the Lord truly blessed, but... Tuesday morning, I woke up in our new home that we had lived in for two days now, and the main sewer line to our new home had collapsed, and things went downhill from there. We called the plumbers to come over and take a look at it, and they came over and they said, oh, 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 this is going to be a big job. We're going to have to tear everything out all the way down to the street. And you know that homeowner's policy you purchased? That doesn't cover this. And, you know, the extra policy you purchased to cover the things the homeowner, that doesn't cover this either. So they got out their calculator, and the tape started getting longer and longer. And as they're doing that, things are backing into places we didn't even know we had places yet. So I called my husband up at work, and I said, honey, remember that house that the Lord gave us? And he says, yeah. I said, it's possessed by the devil. (laughs) So as this day dragged on, more and more things were going wrong with this house. The total from the plumbers was getting higher and higher, and I was getting more and more discouraged. So after a couple hours went by, my husband calls back. He says, I've got great news. Send the plumbers home. I found a guy here at work that does plumbing side jobs. He can do the whole job for us at a fraction of the cost. I said, oh, praise the Lord. He goes, well, there's just one problem. I said, what's that? He says, well, he can't do it for two weeks. Now remember there were 6 of us, my husband, myself, our 3 small children and my 95-year-old mother-in-law that lived with us. No plumbing. So my husband decides he's going to be magnanimous about this whole thing. He's going to go and buy us a porta potty. Not just any old porta potty. This was the deluxe porta potty, good for 57 flushes. So he goes to Camping World, buys this thing, brings it home, sets it in the middle of the living room just <laughs> just to give us directions on how to use it. Then we moved it to where it should be. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with these things, of which I wasn't, there's a little gauge on there. Green means it's okay to use. Red means the whole unit needs to be emptied. So um, that next day, my husband was coming home from work. And there was a very short time from the time he got home from work to the time he had to go teach Bible study. So I looked at this... And it was on red. So I, I told him, I, I, I said, it's on red. He said, what do you mean it's on red? This is good for 57 flushes. I said, well, I don't know. There's six of us, and we used it, and it's on red. So the poor guy's driving around town before Bible study looking for a place to empty this thing. So he comes home with it. He goes, please, you've got to be more careful with it tomorrow. I said, well, we'll do our best. And so he gets home from work the next night, and it was on red again. He says, what's wrong with you people? What do you do, just sit around and flush all day? Well, at this point, we were all terrified to use it. I took the kids to Target the next day just to use the restroom. So he gets home from work that next day, and it was on green. He said, see, I knew if you'd be more careful with it, it would be on green. Well, I knew. See, my husband used to get up and leave for work very early in the morning. So I knew that that next morning, once he left and everybody else got up, it was going to be on red. And sure enough, by 7 o'clock in the morning, it was on red. So I called him up at work, and I said, well, it's on red. He said, well, I can't do anything about it. I can't leave work. I said, well, what am I supposed to do? He said, go empty it. I said, I can't do that. He goes, oh, sure he can. It's easy. He said, the directions are right on there. You just push the button and you unscrew the cap. I thought, well, I guess it sounds easy enough. All right, I'll do it. So I decided to take it over to our rental house because the renters hadn't moved in yet. So I'm standing there looking at this thing, trying to remember what my husband had told me to do because he neglected to tell me that the instructions are on that light part that you leave at home while you take the big heavy unit to go empty. So I'm standing there looking at this thing, and I remembered he said something about pushing a button. So I pushed the button, and raw sewage starts coming out of my hand. I'm thinking, oh, what do I do? What do I do? He said, unscrew the cap. So I unscrew the cap. Now he also neglected to tell me that that little spout turned. So I unscrew the cap. Now it's all running down my leg. So I hurried to empty this thing. Now, remember, we had no plumbing at home. We had been sneaking one-minute army-type showers every other day just so as not to offend all the new neighbors we'd already offended anyway. So I ran home to get my one-minute shower, and in my bathroom I have a Bible calendar that I turn to every day to see what my scripture is for the day, and I was expecting a really great scripture that day. Romans eight eighteen: The things you suffer now are nothing compared to the glory that's to come. I said, you know, that's not funny, Lord. I have tried to have a really good attitude about this whole thing. I have not murmured and complained, even as I've emptied my dishwater out in the gutter in front of all of my new neighbors. But raw sewage. And the Lord spoke to my heart, and he says, "Well, count it all joy. I said, I'm sorry, Lord. I find nothing joyful in this situation at all. And he said, finish the scripture. Count it all joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith works patience. I don't want any more patience. I don't need any more patience. Just one day of peace, Lord, please finish the scripture. Ah, Count it all joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith works patience and that patience must finish its work so that you can be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Okay, Lord, I do want to be mature and complete in you, even if it takes raw sewage to do it. You know, the potter can control everything about a firing, but every pot responds differently to the fire. If a pot stays in the fire too long, it'll look flame-licked or it'll have a burned look about it. But if it doesn't stay in the fire long enough, the glaze won't mature. It'll have a rough finish to it. Lord, help me not to waste the fiery trials that I go through by whining and murmuring and complaining. But help me to know that it takes the fire to produce in me a a hardness and, and a usability so that I won't crack or, or be flaky. You know, there are many purposes for the refining fire, but I think the ultimate purposes here on this earth are to make us useful and fit for display to the world and to bring honor and glory to our master potter. Now, if you look over here, you'll see that can that I was talking about that I do the Raku firings in. And what I'll do is I'll put the glazed pieces of pottery into the kiln And over about an hour and a half period, I'll bring it up to about 1,850 degrees. It's absolutely white hot. And I'll put on these big asbestos gloves. and I get out my tongs. And I'll look into the top of the kiln. There's a hole in the top of my kiln. So I can look in that hole. And as I see the glaze melting down the sides of the pieces, I know that they're ready. So I'll raise the lid to the kiln. And as I do that, just a tremendous amount of heat comes pouring out of there. And I'll reach in with the tongs. And I'll grab a pot i bring it over here and set it on the ground, and then I blow on it. And as I'm blowing on it, I can hear that cool air crackling the glaze. Then I'll take it, and I'll put it in this can full of newspaper. It catches on fire, and then I cover it up, and that puts out the fire. Now, as you can see, this is a very exciting part of the process. Every piece turns out differently, and it's really very exciting to see what they look like when they come out of the fire. But at this point, I have to wait patiently because if I took off the lid right away would just catch on fire all over again, and there's really no purpose in putting it through the fire again unless it needs to. So I'll wait about an hour for it to cool. Then I'll take off the lid, and I'll reach into the can, and I find ashes. And you know, sometimes when we've been through a fiery trial in our lives, seems like all that's left are ashes in our lives. And we think, oh God, how could anything good possibly come from this? But then I'll reach back into the can a little deeper this time and find that he gives us beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness so that he can be glorified. Now, you see, this piece is beautiful, but it's not quite ready for display yet. It's still covered with soot and ashes. So then I need to come over here, and I get out my bucket and a little comet and a scouring pad. You know, it's a painful process, isn't it? All the way from being pulled out of that pit, being wedged and prepared, going around in circles, going through the fire. It's all a painful process. But when it's finished, you have a beautiful work of art. Now, have you ever seen those people that shine? They just shine with the light of Jesus. You you look at them and you think, what is it about this person that just shines so much? Well, you know what it is? They had to burn first. And the more intense the fire, the more brilliant the shine. So when you look at that person, you think, oh, I wish I could be like that. Just know what it took for them to get that way. Now, we are all vessels on display at all times. First, in our own homes, with our own families. It says, pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one can edify another. We're on display through the people that we minister to. It says, you are our epistles, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. And finally, you are on display to the world, no matter how insignificant you might think you are. People are watching you, and believe me, they are watching you, but they're not just looking at you. They are evaluating your master potter's ability by how effectively you have allowed him to shape you. Now, I've been talking about vessels of honor and vessels on display, and maybe there's some of you here today saying, you know, I've already been through the fire, and well, I didn't make it. I've been burned, or I cracked up. Maybe I even blew up. I'm such a failure. God could never use me but a little lump of clay. He's working with those broken pieces today, if you let him. He's already paid the price for your redemption. You can't make anything out of yourself for him, but he's in the business of restoring broken vessels. He's in the business of restoring broken lives. You know, after the Northridge earthquake, I went out to my studio, and I had had floor-to-ceiling shelves filled with pottery, and afterwards it was about this high on the ground. So I got out my trash can and shovel and gloves and I just started shoveling up all the broken pieces. And as I did that, I prayed. And I didn't say, why, Lord? But I did say, what, Lord? I said, what would you show me through this? What would you have me to learn? And he spoke to my heart so clearly. He said, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. You see, It's okay to be broken before God. God will use your brokenness. Remember when Mary went to anoint Jesus, the alabaster box had to be broken before the fragrance of the perfume could fill the room. Maybe today you're saying, well, you know, I don't feel exactly broken. Maybe I just have a few cracks showing. Maybe I'm a crackpot. Well, you know what happens when you put light into a vessel that's cracked? The light shines through the cracks. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Now, remember a few minutes ago, I mentioned to you that a pot had to be fired. Otherwise, it would just eventually disintegrate. But once it's been fired, even if it's broken, those broken pieces will last forever. Just like in the archaeological digs in Israel, they dig up these broken pieces of pottery, thousands of years old. And those are a legacy that lasts forever. Well, the broken pieces in each one of your lives are a legacy that will last forever. And God will take those broken pieces, if you allow him to, and use them to minister to others that have been broken in the same way. Now, in a large house, there are many articles, some of gold and silver, some of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some are for ignoble. But if a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy and useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. Let's pray. Precious Father, we thank you so much that you are our potter and that we are clay in your loving hands. And Lord, that it's your heart's desire to mold each one of us into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for each person here, no matter where they're at in the process. And that's the wonderful thing about this picture, Lord, is that we're all somewhere in this process today. Lord, I pray for hearts that are yielded to you, Lord, that we would say to you today, Lord, have your own way with us. Lord, we just honor you today with our lives, with our vessels. We offer them up to you for your honor and glory. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. God bless you all.
1: Amen. Let's thank
0: God.